All right. I think this is happening. We're doing it. Hello, you're listening to the Close Knit Podcast. I'm your host, Ani Lee. The Close Knit Podcast aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. Close Knit is listener and reader supported. You can check out closeknit.substack.com for more details. This is episode 67, and today I'm speaking with Mackenzie Mullen of M to the Third Yarn Co. Mackenzie is a queer, fat, Chicana, femme, granny punk who currently lives in Portland, Oregon. She runs a small business, M to the Third Yarn Co., which focuses on knitting, illustrations, and natural dyes. Hi, Mackenzie. Hello. I am so happy to have you today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) Just delighted. I feel like I reached out and I was like, when I saw you last year, delete, delete, delete over a year, like two years ago now, (laughs) cause that was 2020. We Mm -hmm. took a lovely walk together around a pond. Mm -hmm. It was very cute. Before it got real bad again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it was lovely, but it's, it's still amazing to me. I like keep making the mistake that I think it's still 2021 and I'm like, actually it's 2022. (laughs) Yeah, it really feels like time has no meaning. <laughs> Absolutely no meaning at all. I don't know if like people's birthdays or ages. I've just lost like, yeah. all sense of time. And it's a little alarming, but I'm also like, we made up time anyway. So like, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and we did that walk in Massachusetts because you had driven across the country. Yes. And since then I now live in Portland. So like I <laughs> my know. life has changed very significantly since then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more crazy. about that. I want to hear, <laughs> I mean, okay. You don't have to live, relive the chaos of the move, <laughs> but if we could get a highlights reel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, like everyone, I feel like the you know, just being stuck at home for two years was really intense. And I moved to Boston from the Bay Area Mm -hmm. um, in 2015, and that was to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. And I went to grad school for library science and specifically to work in archives. And sort of my desire to go into that was based on textiles. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, cool. Like, I can work in like a textile archive. But like very quickly, I was just like, this is so not what I want to be doing. Like it was just like not it for so many reasons. So um, I finished up school and the whole time I was like teaching knitting classes, dyeing yarn, working at yarn stores. And then once I was done with school, I started working at um, an engineering college. It was <laughs> Like, and so that's where I was at when we did that walk. Right. So it was like, it was sort of a job that was made for me in terms of like managing a maker space, working with college students who were like very hands on. Mm. And like, I could pursue a lot of my passions um, in that position, but like, I still wasn't fulfilled. And so I was like, you know, I'm really glad I tried this. All the timing worked out. And then when the pandemic hit, they were basically like, we can't afford to keep all these employees. So they offered like this severance package and I decided to take it. And that's like the money that my partner and I were able to use to move back West, which is what the plan had been. So it's a little chaotic (laughs) and I feel like reflecting on 2021 
it feels like we were moving for 12 months. Like, (laughs) you know, it's such a big move. It's like planning, packing everything up. We decided to drive across the country. Um, My mom came and drove with us, which was so fun. And we had our dog and cat. (laughs) We landed in Portland and like, it's been really it, like we needed to do it so bad and it's been really great but like wow it, <laughs> it's just like such a different place from yeah even a year ago yeah how like how is it feeling it's feeling good to be in Portland what's it's what's feeling so like? good awesome. so good <laughs> awesome I mean I have like it's it's been cool because I've been uh, reconnecting with people who I met in Oakland who have moved up here or like are visiting or, you know, live even just in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and, but I'm also like had the opportunity to meet new people, like specifically in the knitting world, because I'm working at a local yarn store here. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I really like, was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm integrating. And like, it's just been like, it's, I can't sort of express like how lovely it has been. So, yeah. <laughs> this is like making my heart really shine because we, yeah, when we <laughs> last saw each other, this was like the vague plan that was sort of coming into existence. And then, then you did it. You executed yes. it. she had some project management and then she just did the project. I love that. I mean, that's so yeah. nice. And it makes me so happy too, to hear people making making decisions about where they want to be in their lives and then starting to figure out how to make moves towards those, towards that, those goals. It's just really, really nice. Yeah. I feel very like lucky and privileged to be doing what I'm doing. So, so great. Yeah. (laughs) And you were, was it this past weekend at the Starlight Knitting Society, Rose City Yarn Crawl. Did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a lot of words. I'm going to write them down. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we had the Rose City Yarn Crawl and uh, I did a trunk show um, on Sunday, had my yarn and like some of my illustrated goodies. And it's just like, first of all, the energy was phenomenal because everyone's so freaking stoked to be like in person doing anything. And, you know, like what a welcome, like I've been here for like six months and it was just, you know, just so nice to be able to talk to people and you know, I think for me, like I worked in an environment where the like knowledge, I guess, of natural dyeing was very like, it was like, there was a lot of gatekeeping Mm -hmm. around it and it wasn't shared openly. So one of the things that I knew that I wanted to do when I got into it was to be able to share it. So like to have people come up and you know, not everyone's interested and like, that's fine. But like the people who are interested in it, it feels so nice to be able to like talk about it and share what I have like taught myself and learned and especially things that I have like researched because I'm like a librarian Yes, (laughs) and to be able to like give it to people in digestible ways, because I also love teaching and uh, yeah. So it's, it's there's all of these elements of it that feel really cool so like I'm sharing the actual product with the people who want that but then I'm sharing like the knowledge behind it with the people who want that yeah so yeah and you're doing that mostly in those like I guess what I'm wondering is um 
I mean, of course you're just like talking with people when you're out Mm -hmm. at festivals and stuff, but how else are you thinking about teaching natural dyes and where are you doing that? Is it through your YouTube podcast? Is it like, are you teaching actual physical classes? I'd love to know. I would love to do that at some point, um, to do the physical classes, but it's sort of, it can, it's hard to find like the setup to do that. So that's sort of like on my, on my list of things, but I do also like to talk about it um, on, on YouTube and like specifically to talk about like longer term planning for wardrobes, Mm. um, that does include natural dye stuff, but also just like talks about how clothes can be empowering Mm -hmm. and how I sort of like it, like, I guess like part of it that's funny to me is like, I think about everything kind of very strategically, like we're talking about product, man- like, yeah, <laughs> I guess not product management, but just like management in general. Right. right. And that's like how I think about my wardrobe, how I think about my knitting plans. Totally. Yeah. So I basically just made a video where I was like, yeah, I'm making this sweater because I know that I don't have a sweater like that. And I want one. Right. And people are like, I have never thought about my next knitting project in that way. <laughs> yes. Okay. I love, I love this because I think there's like, I really see a lot of different camps of people in how we plan our projects, how we think about how our making fits into like the act of clothing ourselves. Like, I think there's a lot of folks where like the act of creating the thing is, is the thing, right? Like that's Uh what they're doing. And it doesn't really matter what the outcome of the garment is, if it fits in with your current wardrobe or this out of the other, which is like, a beautiful expression of creativity. I think like, I, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's just like a different way of approaching it. And then like, I think there's a lot of people in the, in the sort of mindset or like camp of like, um, capsule wardrobes and thinking about how it fits into their like current aesthetic and their body and like what feels good to wear and uh-huh. thinking about like, how, you know, sort of getting, getting longevity out of it. Like you said, like I remember like a few years back kind of buying white clothing with the intention of being like, well, eventually I'll like become a strong enough natural dyer that I will like dye all of my clothes. <laughs> Here we are like four years later and I really haven't done that much at all. I've mostly, <laughs> and honestly, the, the truth of the matter is for me, at least that like, I'm so sweaty that I pit all of my shirts <laughs> and I learned the hard way that like natural dyes don't cover that for the most part. Yeah. Like they just well, change it's colors. Be a huge, like pH. Yeah. Exactly. Because of your pH levels. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> I also, I don't, I didn't want to breeze over the like gatekeeping thing. Cause I actually, I've been thinking a lot about this because I'm witnessing my partner taking up ceramics and like learning from mm. people in the ceramics community. And people are like really open with their knowledge sharing. Like in, he's in a couple different studio spaces, taking classes and stuff. And they're just like, oh yeah, yeah. I use this place. And then I did this and they're so <laughs> open with it. And I was like, we were talking about, what is that like? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> this is not generally my experience of, and I don't want to sound like a dick, but like, it's not my experience of the textile world in general always. And I, yeah. I feel like in particular with like natural dyes, there's this sort of like, um, I don't know, fear of like other people. I'm not sure exactly yeah. where it's, what it's motivated by. I mean, I think like in like it larger, it's totally part of the knitting world too. 
And um, because like, I would say that as much as I am in natural dye land, I am like more staunchly maybe in the knitting community. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, I can, I can speculate about like all the ways, like all the reasons why it is like this. And I think, I think like, I've just like, I remember the first person I sat down with when I was sort of starting my business. Um, and her name is Amy and she works for knit collage. I'm like very happy to sort of talk about it because she was like, just so open with her expertise. And she was like, if you need anything, like, let me know. And I'll like help you find the resources. And I remember walking away from just like that. It was really just like us getting coffee together. And I walked away from that. And I was like, I have never experienced anything like that. And I've been working at yarn stores and like working in this industry for like, you know, half a decade at that point. And, you know, it's like, when someone is, was telling me something, it felt like I was being told like this trade secret and, you know, and, uh, I was just like, oh yeah, like this is what this could actually look like. And, um, so from that point, it was just like, I don't, you know, I don't really understand why people are like hiding, like, you know, there's so many indie dyers right now. Why are we, trying to keep it quiet where we get our bases from where we get our dyes from and uh you know like everyone like I just I just it doesn't make sense to me especially as such a women-dominated like industry where we should be like showing up and holding each other up and if we're operating from this like scarcity mindset then we're just like perpetuating that there isn't enough to go around and there is plenty to go around. Right. I think that that nails it. Like that's the word scarcity was like, what was coming to mind for me where I feel like there is this sense that like, well, this, you know, the textile industry in America, like, isn't what it used to be, or like, you know, there is, you know, there aren't as many mills or there isn't this or the other. So if like, if you, you know, what if, what if there's this small mill and like you put in an order and it supersedes my order and now I can't get the thing that I need. And it's, right. and I, I like, you know, I sympathize with like where that, where that thought comes from, but it's such a bummer that it has sort of um, seeped into so many corners of the knitting community that it has, because I, I, the same as you, I've had a couple of experiences and frankly, I think they were mostly in Australia. They were like at the guild that I went to where mm. people were really, really open with their knowledge mm-hmm. where they were just like, I want to tell you everything. Cause I'm really excited about this. And I want to talk about it where mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, people are just teaching me how to spin or people are just telling me like how to process fiber or what the name is for this thing that now I can go Google and learn more about. But without those like early teachers for me, I don't know that I would have delved into the, all of the different topics as closely because I wouldn't have even known where to start or what language to use. And that like having those key like gate openers and mm-hmm. sort of mentors and kind guiding hands who are like, sure, I will sit down with you for coffee. But I mm-hmm. also feel like there's this, like, it's this complicated thing, I think at present, because it's a little bit like, we'll pay people for their labor and don't exploit people and don't talk about like, or don't ask people to like pick their brain or whatever. But some of the most like fruitful interactions that I've had 
both directions, being the brain picker and being the person whose brain is being picked were totally that they were like, there's no expectation of like, um, of any like capital moving between us. It's just like human to human. I just want to help you out. Or you just want to help me out because we're both excited about this topic. So it just feels like really sticky and complicated. Yeah, it definitely is. And there's like so many layers to it where it's like, and I have done this work and should be like, I don't know that compensation is the right word or what I'm thinking about, but like, Mm. there should be some kind of acknowledgement for the amount of work that I have put in to get this far. So there's like the part of like being in the industry and feeling like I'm coming up against gatekeeping, but then also working at stores and having people like, okay, I just bought this sweater quantity and now hold my hand through the whole process, which is like a whole other beast in and of itself where it's like, do you go to Lowe's and buy everything to make like a deck for your house and expect them to sit next to you while you build it, you know? Okay. So that, it's like, <laughs> that is a really, I just want to pause there because like that feels, I feel like there are so many things like this where people come in and they're like, Oh, but Mackenzie, you could do this for less money, right? Like you could knit me a thing for less and you'd yeah. never be like, hi, accountant, you'll do my taxes for less money. Right. right. Like, hi right. doctor, you'll do this surgery for less money. Right. Like there's the, I feel like the example you just brought up of the hardware store, because this feels oh. like something that's like a very masculine field where like the people selling you stuff are probably het dudes. Like, right. Like, yeah. And just the, the difference of the culture of like somebody coming into a yarn store and being like, hi, could you help me like decide, like make a, make a decision about which sweater pattern I should use, what colors I should use, like right down to the creative elements of the project. Sometimes people try yeah. to outsource that even. That's just, I just, I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit like <laughs> mind blown <laughs> right now, just processing that specific imagery, because I think I hadn't thought about the fact that that's so, that's such an, that's such an experience of like working in a yarn store and being in that position. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, it just gets complicated to like yeah. sort of assess, like what is asking too much or not. And like how to set that boundary and like be assertive when we're not really taught to be assertive or like encouraged, I guess, to be assertive. Totally. So, yeah. And I guess like to further complicate things even more, you know, (laughs) then I also think about instances in which, um, you know, specific techniques have been appropriated from folks who don't get as much credit, like improv quilting coming directly, like from cheese bend and you know so then there's like that element of it too that is then being gatekept and it natural dyes is very similar so it's like there's all of this like indigenous knowledge or knowledge from BIPOC folks that then is gatekept from you know the general population by like white women a lot (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. probably white people (laughs) yeah you know so it's just like it, it there's no easy answer but it's something that like I hold in my practice a lot to like be thinking about and conscious of and to be uplifting other like BIPOC voices while also trying not to, um, you know, take uh, like credit for doing that. Like, I don't want, like, I don't know. It's like, I don't want the direct or like, I'm not doing it to get a pat on the back. That's not the point. The point is that like, 
I am a person who walks through this world with sort of like the identity of being a BIPOC person, but like, because I'm white, um, I also like can sort of, I guess, use my privilege for good to support other BIPOC folks and like to just be open about talking about this stuff Totally, because, you know, it, I have, you know, it it probably won't affect me as much as um, a person with darker skin talking about it, which is fucked up, but also like that is what I'm doing with my privilege. Right. That is your, that is your space to create some kind of change. Like that's where you leverage your privilege in a way that's helpful. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's just like one little piece of what I'm trying to do, but you know, it's just like always part of it and it has to be. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. yeah, I've had conversations with folks who are white, but like queer and talking about like, <laughs> it's, it's sort of a weird, like, I've never quite found the right words for it, but it feels like sometimes I can walk into a room and be, and like be palatable enough, you know, in yeah. air quotes for, yeah. a, for a room of people who like, don't otherwise think about queerness or other experiences beyond just sort of like right. straight white suburban, whatever it is that mm-hmm. like, I can kind of, I feel like I get to like speak attack a little bit with a little like, right. Hey. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's like a little more feminist theory than maybe you like had previously been taught or that you, that is like common in the language in the space that you're normally occupying. And I For like sure. that little like stealth entry that gets to be like, cool. I get to sort of, yeah, leverage this part of my, my privilege, frankly, to hopefully make room for conversation that people might not otherwise be having. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's the hope, I guess. I don't right. know. It's like, yeah, I never know. I'm like, is it, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's, again, we could talk about this for like <laughs> three hours and have made basically no headway on the topic, but yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think like I have used palatability, but I just, I try, I guess, not to use that in front mm-hmm. of like, not that it's like in front of, but like with my BIPOC friends. Cause they fucking know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? yes. it's like we it's a shitty thing to have to right. like talk about but I think when I bring it up with you know white friends it's more important for them to understand why it might be more comfortable to talk about it with me right so right yeah yeah all of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know just the light topics that we sprinkle oh, in yeah. here on the yeah. podcast <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more just sort of about your whole making practice. Like I always, and I hate to put you on the spot like this. I always like asking people about like their early memories of fiber. Like, did you have a fiber practice? Was there, was Mm. fiber a practice in your family lineage? Like, can you tell me about that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I, I giggle because, um, so my, my whole family are entrepreneurs basically Mm. um like grandpa grandma dad mom other side of grandparents everyone wow um and my grandma's um business was a lingerie business oh okay grandma she made like crotchless thongs for fredericks of hollywood and like pasties (laughs) and my mom would um you know my mom and her siblings would like tie like bows to be put on the panties like after school (laughs) like stuff so um yeah so it's always been around um like my grandma was always sewing she sewed you know after she retired she sewed all of our costumes and then she actually started a kids clothing line um 
after that where she took up like she would basically upcycle before upcycling was cool um she would go I remember going to so many thrift stores and she would get like Oshkosh jeans and like you know basically for kids toddlers through maybe like 10 um and they would just like embellish them and then sell those at different swap meets and stuff um and then my mom before I was born um went into like pattern drafting and uh went to fit them created a baby clothing line also and like had that going when I was born so I have like a lot of handmade stuff so um no one really did like yarny type crafts Mm. so I always joke that that's like the way that I had to stand out (laughs) (laughs) you know couldn't you know because it's like too close so I like had a really hard time learning how to sew from either of them oh yeah Um, yeah but when I was um in high school I got really into zines um through the internet like so I was like in a lot of feminist like blogs and I love this for you and this definitely tracks yes yeah right (laughs) everyone's like this is the least surprising bit of information about you (laughs) um but that's really how I was introduced to well first of all the word queer which was huge Mm. because I never felt like like being gay being like a lesbian felt right for me. And so, you know, they were talking about being queer and coming out as queer. And that's ultimately what I ended up coming out as first. And a lot of the zines were also talking about sort of taking back things that they had pushed away because they were too feminine. Mm. So like the color pink, um, you know, it was sort of like, now it's sort of like funny to... (laughs) think about the way that that like impacted baby Mackenzie but um it felt really cool to me so I had like a picture of me at prom and I had like this like pink dress on where most of the other time I was wearing all black um (laughs) um, but one of those things was knitting and so I tried to teach myself at the time there wasn't as much YouTube as there is now, or right. if, I don't even know if it was out yet, but <laughs> right. I don't know either. I, like I like book. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was like dial up internet days nearly. Right. We're not quite that old, but like <laughs> almost <laughs> right. It was like, maybe like they were like two minute videos on YouTube allowed or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so I did go into a store that like no longer exists in LA. My aunt took me and they just taught me the knit stitch. And that's sort of like how it took off and uh my when I started college really I started knitting as like stress relief Mm -hmm. and I was just like always knitting something even if it was just a hat right (laughs) or just a scarf and uh I just like I don't know I just loved it and I didn't stop after that point so just kept challenging myself a little bit more and more but that's really where I got like where I became interested in it, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, no, the the family history is amazing. And I would very much <laughs> like to see pictures of these garments that exist. Oh, yeah. those are... might even ha- well, when we're done, I might even have, yeah, I think I have some. So <laughs> I would love, <laughs> love, I mean, what a legacy. I really relate to the picking up knitting in college. I like, my mom taught me when I was like 11 or something. And then I went to college and 
saw someone else knitting and was like, oh, I think I know how to do that kind of, but like, but what are you doing with those circular needles? And then my right. friend like taught me to knit the, in the round. And of course the first couple of times I had like twisted stitches, right. she's like, you're going to have to undo that. And I was like, oh, okay. Yes. But the same for me where it was just like, I was never, you'd never find me somewhere without my needles basically. Mm-hmm. Cause it was just like, well, it's something to I don't know. I kind of have cycled in and out with this. And I'd be curious for your perspective on it too. Cause I feel like, um, maybe before I had language about anxiety or tools to like cope with my anxiety, Mm -hmm. I was like knitting all of the time. And Mm. I have felt like there are times in my life where when I am better equipped or I'm like reaching into my toolbox of different tools of anxiety Mm -hmm. coping, (laughs) I'm not necessarily like, it's not as much of a security blanket. Like I really Mm. think there were times where I needed them with me because I didn't know where else to put the feeling like the somatic Mm. anxiety I was experiencing, except sort of like channel it through needles. I'm, I still like am the person who's known for bringing my knitting pretty much everywhere. Like (laughs) (laughs) when I leave without it, it's like every partner I've had without fail is like, you left without your knitting. Are you, is, should I bring it to you? Like, is this going to be okay? (laughs) Okay. So this is clearly still a very big part of my personality, but I feel like I used it. I've yeah, I've like used it in varying times of my life as sort of a, like a stress tool, but also an specifically anxiety tool. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear like for you over the course of you've been knitting now for quite a long time. So I'd just be curious. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it definitely has always been part of my self-care and I, I can actually tell when I haven't like, I, I sort of do like distracted knitting where I'll be like listening to an audiobook or even yeah. reading and knitting at the same time, watching TV. Um, and then I'll, I'll be having like trouble sleeping and I'll be like, I haven't like done the knitting where I'm like literally meditating while I am knitting. Mm. I don't have anything on to distract me. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it really becomes like a mindfulness kind of exercise. So yeah. I can tell when I haven't been doing that mm. enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So so that's definitely part of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, college for me was like, I feel like it's the time when we're away from our safety blankets for the first time. Yeah. And it, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I have to like be feeding myself, be doing laundry, you know, <laughs> like yes. all, and then also taking care of my mental health and like, right. there's no real escape from that. Right. And, um, when I got to college, one of the biggest like mental health things that I had to deal with was that I had, um, a metaphobia, which is fear of vomiting basically, or getting sick. Mm. And it was way like, I'd known that I had had this, this, I mean, it's like calling it a fear is like way undermining it. Um, where it was like debilitating Mm. and I didn't know how bad it was until I was like in the dorms, which was like a very confined space and people would just like get sick from drinking or, you know, just like it was going through the dorms and it was like really, really hard for me. So it sort of, it was definitely like, I mean, I wouldn't say that like I specifically sought out knitting when that was happening, but Mm. that became became part of, like you said, my toolkit to like dealing with anxiety and right. sort of conquering that fear, which yeah. like I do still struggle with, but it's like, it's like not even, 
it's so far from where I was when I was 17, 18. That's so wonderful. <laughs> you know? So, but yeah. yeah, it's really hard. And also like zines were like a huge part of that too. Like oh, I wrote a lot about it. That's so and cool. I like would sell zines, whether it was online or like, I think that was like through Tumblr, I would sell it. And like, I would have people, you know, snail mail letters just being like, holy shit, I've never actually heard anyone talk about this, but I also experienced the same thing. Mm. And that feeling of like community around it also like gave me strength to like work on it and figure out where it was coming from and why it was happening and sort of how to get over it. That's so, so special. Yeah. You're like making yeah. me very nostalgic slash excited about the making zines, like getting into <laughs> zines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I love zines. <laughs> so magical. I feel like it's like what you're what you're describing to me sounds like a a gentler version of what we've tried to create on the internet with like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like everything's like community but at hyperspeed and sort of commodified yeah. whereas like zine culture was that just slower like you'd write a well zine, and like now most of my zine friends like aren't making zines but I am connected with them on Instagram right. which is really cool right. um you know, so, but I hear what you're saying. It's like that urge to be able to be slower right. and like to not have to like immediately respond to someone to feel like you're like missing a connection almost. Right. And I feel like there was this excitement and serendipity about those connections because of the mm. pace at which they happened. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. the internet definitely facilitates this. Like that's mm-hmm. how I know you exist. Like right. pretty much everyone I know for the close knit podcast is like, because the internet exists, which is wonderful. Sure. Like I'm really happy about that, <laughs> but I feel like the early internet and things that predate the internet or were right around the early internet were like, it was a little bit more like stumbling around a library or something where you'd be like, Mm. Oh, I guess I'm in this section. And like, Oh, there's this other thing that's in this section that I'd never heard of before, but I guess I'll check out a book on it because (laughs) they're right next to each other. You know, like that kind of a clumsy metaphor about a library, (laughs) like meeting someone and being like, Oh, we have, we surprisingly have this thing in common. Like, wow. And just sort of that, that happened it seemed to happen really organically and interestingly, like in blog days or something. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it did, that did kind of happen with you and me though, too, because True. I was like, Hey, we both worked at this place together. Also, I have been to Tasmania yes. <laughs> and I'm a knitter. And it was like, you know, like so, just so funny that like, you know, I don't know, but also I could have known that and not reached out. Like, I think there's different like, I think that because I have been on the internet for so long right. and because I have friends that I've known for like over 10 years because of the internet, right? like I'm a little more, I guess, like gregarious about <laughs> being like, Hey, we have these things in common or you, you and I know these people or whatever it is, because yes, it might lead to, you know, a, a deeper connection, but also it could not. And that's also like okay I guess right right. yeah I'm not like (laughs) offended if like it doesn't take off (laughs) right no I I really feel that and I I feel like what's been interesting about this for me like reconciling this after leaving Instagram was that like Mm -hmm. Instagram was this like easy gateway to be like 
you know vaguely who I am because here I am on the internet. You've read things or you can read things I've written. You can see what my actual face looks like. You can put a face to the nits or whatever. You can decide whether you can do your, you know, 30 second scan and make sure I'm not a creep. (laughs) You would be wrong, (laughs) frankly, but I look not that creepy on the internet. But that when there isn't that gateway anymore, I feel so much shyer about reaching out to people. And I'm Mm. like, oh, there's no longer a like, I'm going to slide into your DMs kind of like Mm. this sort of ease of access to people. Like I feel way more nervous about trying to find people's um, like their websites and then reaching out to them via email and then giving enough context, but not sounding weird (laughs) and being like, I used to follow you on Instagram and I love everything you make please come on to my podcast like, mm-hmm. without that kind of social proof, frankly, that like, mm. you could be like, hi, other like people follow me and they know who I am and I'm not totally terrible. And I make sort of interesting work. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sort of rambling about like, just the, it's a, it's sort of double-edged where I like, yes, I am seeking a sort of slower pace of connection. And I am so frankly thrilled when little bits of connection do come out of the word woodworks every, you know, maybe it's once a month instead of like every day or something, but it's hard. It's hard when you've gotten used to that cadence of like newness and possibility of connection and then making quick connections. And then how many of those connections turn into actual, like beautiful friendships. It's like, Oh, I missed that. (laughs) Well, and like part of why I'm glad that like I've landed, I guess, where I am is that like one of the ways that I got that was via knit nights and um you know because they we they haven't been in person for so long Mm. but when I moved here and the store that I'm working at we're doing masked in-person knit nights and like especially as someone new to a city like a bunch of people who go to it also moved within you know the last two years Mm. and are just like looking for people with similar interests and everyone talks about how freaking hard it is to make friends like in your late 20s to you know pass beyond basically right um and yeah so that has been really really cool and you know through my podcast I have a slack group Oh yeah. And when the pandemic began, you know, whenever, when it was like shit was going down in the beginning, we started doing virtual knit nights and we were doing three a month up until basically I moved, like drove across the country. Mm -hmm. So they've slowed down because I now do in-person ones, Mm. but, um, you know, that's been really like a really amazing thing and like I just met one of the people in person at the Rose City Yarn Crawl who drove up oh. from LA oh. so like all of that like I don't know yeah I I guess just like that there are other ways yes to connect yes and that's always been really important to me yeah and I'm sort of glad to see it I guess paying off outside right. of Instagram. Right, right. You know, right. Because these aren't people necessarily that want to comment publicly on a YouTube yeah. video, but they can show up like elsewhere and we can have like a more meaningful connection. Yeah. Even if it is still virtual. <laughs> yeah. Moment, but, no, but I love, yeah. I love, yeah. I mean, thank you for that. I, I remember when before we were chatting, I was like, I want to ask her about her Slack channel because I'm like joined the Slack channel. And I have to tell you that 
it is so lovely, but I also use Slack for work, like my day job work. And I, I just cannot seem to like separate. I'm like, Slack is work. (laughs) Work is Slack. Well, and then some people have never used it aside from my channel. So that's also hard. You know, so they're like, I, you know, it can be overwhelming or whatever, but I also used it for work, which is why I sort of adopted it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not perfect, but discord, you know, isn't perfect either. Right. And no platform is, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the other thing, right. Is like, I feel like I've had a few conversations about this over the course of the pandemic and about like Instagram and other things. And I feel like when I was saying like, oh, I'm not super interested in Instagram. I had people being like, where are you going? And I was like, I don't know offline. I think (laughs) yeah, like probably doing less on the internet because it's like most of these mechanisms lack the, the fundamental thing I'm trying to trying to sort of recreate via the internet, which is like connection to another person, like meaningful connection with another person. And it's like, you know, I have an email newsletter that I love writing. It's like, it's so lovely to give space to like write something long form. I've really enjoyed having that as like Uh a practice, but it's not like, there's really no reciprocal exchange. Yeah. It's not like actually... (laughs) It's really sweet. My partner's dad reads it (laughs) and he responds to every single one that I send with like really thoughtful commentary and engagement. And it's really super sweet. And I would like love to have more conversation with people, but I also get that like, this is your email inbox. I don't know how you use your inbox. You might be like thousand emails deep and I'm just one of the many that, you know what I mean? Yeah. You might read it and enjoy it, but like not have the brain capacity or whatever to like the space. Yeah. Well, so Grace, who you interviewed very recently and I are internet friends and turned, you know, texting friends and, um, she'd use a sub stack too. So we had a conversation where I was like, I like love getting your sub stack. Can I reply to it and like have a conversation with you about it? Because I just always want to say something, but I never know where. And so we like did like, I was like testing one, two, three replying. And she was like, I got it. I got it in my email. So now whenever I get one of her things, I like send her a little, even if it's like just a little, you know, what I, just like I've read this and I'm acknowledging that I received it it's so nice just to yes. sort of like share that like connection so yes. yeah <laughs> yes but yeah so I mean even like I'm like you should put in the email just like you can reply to this <laughs> like, you know so I feel like I know. need to be yeah I need to be like more <laughs> I need to be braver with that. Cause I think I've said like, by the way, replies are encouraged, but I need to be like, reply. I love it when you reply. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Reply. <laughs> yeah. 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 I would love to hear more about, um, I mean, there's many things and I don't want to, I don't want to keep you here for the rest of the night. So I'm actually going to re I'm going to, th- I'm going to rethink about which one I'm going to ask. I want to, even though I want to keep talking about like what it's like to run your Slack community, et cetera, what I want to hear more about is, is your making practice and Mm -hmm. your like clothes making practice. I know earlier you talked about how you think of it from like a project management perspective. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think one of the big sort of drives for me to keep making is to think, thinking about wardrobe Mm -hmm. and like, I am a fat person and there's just not a lot of clothes 
there are far more now than there were even like five years ago, Mm. but there's not a lot of clothes that ethically and stylistically resonate with me. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've been on the like size inclusion train because I've had to be for like 10 years now. And, you know, I stopped because it just felt like I was yelling into the void. Mm. So when like, you know, it was a couple of years ago in the knitting community, there was all of a sudden this like condemnation of people who weren't making, especially knitting patterns up Mm -hmm. to sizes that like included myself. It was sort of like, yeah, okay. And also like, yeah, there are people who have been saying this for a long time. So, and it just like, it always felt like it fell on, you know, yeah, it's just, it just was so like, I still feel frustrated about it because it's like, I said this to you and now you're acting like you are hearing it. So what is it about right now because it's like a mass movement that you feel like you have to be accountable and I did have some friends like reach out directly directly to me and were like and said like I'm sorry for not hearing you when you said this to me and um you know that like I'm glad that you know change has happened because of that but like frankly it's not enough so you know i at this point I do follow knitting patterns, but like, I am also making my own because it just feels like a better use of my time, frankly. Yeah. Um, and you know, just like, I also talk a lot about how, yeah, like I am as one person can make a choice that is like sustainable for my wardrobe. And like, I am not the reason that the impact of like making non-sustainable decisions is having as big of an impact as it is having on our planet. And so me not buying a shirt from old Navy is not making as big of a difference as, you know, a corporation deciding not to do X, Y, and Z. And it doesn't feel right to me to condemn other people who don't have as much money, who are, you know, even bigger, in size than I am are smaller inside, like, Mm. you know, don't fit in on the other um, side of the size scale Mm. or who have disabilities who like change their bodies. You know, it's just, I really try to have the conversation, but have it have a lot of nuance. And so when I'm making something like some, I, you know, joke sometimes that I'm like doing a knitting podcast, but a lot of times I just have like a few things to talk about because I'll rip things out if they don't fit. And if it, if I realize it's not going to work in my wardrobe the way that I intended, it's not worth it to be working on. Right. And I just try not to focus on like time wasted, quote unquote, like of making, like, yeah, I'm trying to be more intentional with what I'm deciding to make, even if it's like, on way thinner yarn and it's taking me a lot longer like it's gonna be worth it and it's gonna last longer if it's what I want it to be right so it can be frustrating because sometimes I'm like you know what I just want to crank out a sweater totally (laughs) in a couple weeks 
Yes. Like I just want like chunky wool and I just like want to have a sweater at the end of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to focus more on sewing for that. Mm. Yes. <laughs> for that like instant relief. Yes. <laughs> um, instant I gratification, yeah. I guess. Even I though like totally instant gratification is so funny to talk about with any making. <laughs> I know. No, I literally, I, ha- I do the exact same thing because I'm in a similar position where I'm like, I have a need for like maybe a sweater per season, maybe, <laughs> or like right. every few seasons. And I want it to be something I really want to wear and I want to spend time with it. And I want to, like you said, if it's like not working, I want to, I want to be better about ripping it out. I think there was a time in my practice where I was like, that's just not me. I just like, don't, I don't ever rip things out. I'm just, <laughs> everything's wonky. And it's like, yes, I do definitely embrace the absolute imperfection that is my work. <laughs> but I also like, if I can very clearly see a mistake or I know it's not going to fit in a way that I want, then like, yes, I'm going to rip it out. But I have found the same thing with sewing where it's like, I have a bit of a mental block around it. Sometimes just like getting, it feels like a lot of like, there's machinery. There's a lot of like, yeah, oh, yeah. I got to th- um, iron things, et cetera. But I've noticed that too, where I'm like, I'm going to like, sew something because wow, I could potentially have an entire garment in like a weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I could do this in like the next 12 hours. And then I'm like, oh, okay. But first I need to like draft a pattern to like, (laughs) this is how I, this is just how my brain works. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Patterns seem hard. And if I have to go out and like PDF print something at the FedEx store and then like, you know, tape it all together it together. Then, yeah. yeah. I'm like, no. Nah. So I just do things like, I think I wrecked it, you know, but like you said, like this is beyond, like it's the idea of any of this being instant, but when your kind of time scale is so shifted because of right. what versus you know, knitting. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anything versus knitting. That's why anytime somebody is like, will you sell me something that you've made? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, I feel like there's such like binary thinking about a lot of, about a lot of things. So like I did this series of videos that like totally took off and that people talked about that I mentioned earlier where I was like, you know, just talking about how I plan my wardrobe and it like Mm. really blew a bunch of people's minds. Right. And I was like, oh, I guess I can talk about this and people are interested in it. Um, But there's a lot of it has to be this way to be considered sustainable. It has to check all of these boxes or like it has to, I don't know, even sometimes trends that pop up, it feels like people feel like they have to check the boxes for it to be like, for them to even want to share it. Like right now there's like this really big push for like natural sock yarns Mm. where it's like, but the way people are framing it is like, we want plastic free socks. Right. And I am like, who, who is benefiting from thinking in that way? Mm. Like that's such a boiled down way of talking about having nylon in socks. Right. And, you know, along with everyone else kind of following that trend, I was like, okay, like, yeah, I guess like, let's try it. I will tell you that every single one of the socks that I've knit without nylon in it busted through like almost immediately. Literally the socks I am wearing right now, I have mended like, like seven times over the course right. of their life of, you know, five years or something. It's like, it's, it's unreal. I, yeah. 
I have given up, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this on something that's going to go onto the internet for posterity. I won't say I've given (laughs) up on like not having nylon in my socks, but I, I literally bought some nylon thread so that I could reinforce, at least if I have stuff that doesn't have nylon in it, I could reinforce the heel and the toe the heel and the toe. And right. if I really was going to be like, you know, at the end of its life, I'm going to compost this, like I'll cut, you know, the, the sure. plastic bits right. out, but it's like basically impossible. Like, I don't know if people just don't wear their socks as hard as I do, but if I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are like I know that there are ways to make sock yarns stronger and right. I'm personally not going to be spinning every single you know skein of yeah. yarn for for every pair of socks that I want right um you know I just think there's like these uh unrealistic expectations that people sort of set themselves up for failure and then are discouraged from further making. So like when we're talking about making practices, like that is something that I try to be really aware of Mm. and to also spread awareness about, Mm -hmm. um, because it's like, this is a really big part of not just my mental health at this point, but like just my like continued existence, (laughs) like, I need to be making and it's something that brings me like so much joy. It's, it brings me my community. It brings me my friends. It's the way that I share that I love people by making them something. So I want it to continue to be joyful and not with all of these stipulations about how to do it right or wrong. And I, it's not that I'm condemning people for saying that they don't want plastic in their socks but I also just want people to be thinking a little bit harder about when they're saying that what message is that conveying and how can we like be talking about that in a way that's more productive and less alienating for people watching totally um you know and it it totally fits right in with like you know wellness lingo and you know it it's just exclusionary yeah. and we're already fighting about against like so many other ways that people are excluded from the making community from, right. you know, everything that right, right. it's, it's just not serving, I think a purpose as well right. as people think it is. Right. I, what you're saying really to me echoes like zero waste language where it's like, you have to do this yeah. perfectly and you have to cut out all things. And the plastic piece really sounds, you know, right. very relevant to that. But I think you make a really good point too, which is something that I, I try to center, which is like joy kind of has to be at the center <laughs> of this. Like if there isn't joy, what, what are we doing? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that to me feels like it always has to exist at the very center of, of the things we're trying to do. And like, yes, I want to be thinking critically about my choices and I want to be considering the environmental impact and social impact. But also, like you said, like the practice starts with choice. We all got into making probably because we thought it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) There's, I mean, I I guess that's an overstatement and I'm sure that's partly generational that like, yeah, before, before when you had to make your own clothes, because it actually was the cheapest way to like get clothing on your body. Like, yeah, it wasn't fun and you had to do it. But Mm -hmm. I think it would probably be fair to say that like in our generation and 
and younger, it's sort of mostly you, you choose to pick it up because it's, it's of interest to you. It's like, it's a Uh joyful thing that you're curious about. And I feel like that that's important. Like that's just, that's something I want to hold on to, you know, as we like, (laughs) we move through the utter chaos of 2022, you know, Fools for thinking it would get better. Oh um, my god! <laughs> truly, truly, yeah. 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 <laughs> I would, I would love to know, like, what's bringing you joy in 2022? Uh, well, not being in Boston anymore <laughs> is bringing me a lot of joy. Um, <sighs> I miss my friends, but Boston is really tough for a Californian. I'll just okay. say that. Yeah. Um, I've heard um, this. I, yeah. I am. <laughs> hosting this like sock along um Mm. which I thought was it was just like an idea that I had because I had so much sock yarn in my stash and I've lost a lot of socks over the last year to holes and like I have already mended them x amount of times and so I was like I just want to replenish my sock drawer and in the past I've done you know 12 socks for one you know for the whole year yeah and basically do a a pair of socks a month and I've like ended up gifting half of them and you know blah 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 but I was like I really want to do this to replenish like mine and my partner's sock drawer um so but I also wanted to make it fun so I like wrapped a bunch of skeins from my stash and I'm just like picking one out every month and knitting a pair of socks and yeah. So That's I so had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. And a lot of other people were interested. So now it's mm. like a big knit along and we've had like pattern PDF pattern donations. So I do like a raffle at the end of every month. And that has been bringing me a lot of joy, just like seeing that, you know, my making and excitement is inspiring others to do the same thing. So yeah, that's been feeling really good. And just like having my business and like being able to create things that bring joy to other people's making practices through yarn and notions and stuff. That's been, that's like so rewarding. I can't even (laughs) describe it. So I'm grateful that I'm able to do that right now. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's all (laughs) wonderful. I'm glad that this was where the conversation like naturally led. This makes me really happy. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me and asking. Such a pleasure.